and welcome back to the Real Professionals DreadX Collection Collection, our collection of episodes where we talk about the DreadX Collection. We're collecting all the developers together to get their collective take on this collection, uh, our collaboration here. So um, anyways, uh, if you don't know what the DreadX Collection is, then uh, where you been? It's it's all over the it's all over the Twitter sphere. People are really uh, excited about it. Uh, I, I, I feel like uh, I'm a real marketer now because uh i'm getting people just randomly messaging me telling me that it looks like shit just like in my dms so that's how you know you've really got a game coming out is people like telling you just unsolicitedly uh that you are a bad person for trying to to be a creative so i finally feel like i get the other side of the the spectrum now i've been on this side of my uh pedestal for so long this side of the uh the lawn for so long looking over the devs and judging them that now i uh I get it. So, anyways, um, you know, keep keep the hate coming. I, I feed off of it. It, it's, it spurns me to be better. No, I, the community reaction has been really great, and I want to thank everyone out there that's been very, very, very interested in this project. Um, and we'll, we're going to have a lot to show you really soon. Uh, we, we've like the games are in, uh, the the assets are being processed. We're going to have a lot of stuff to announce soon about it that I really think um, is going to be exciting. And this is. I'm so excited with what we've managed to pull together. It's 10 solo developers all working on uh, 10 different games that they made in seven days. And I, I got to say, looking at these games, it does not look like they were made in, in seven days. It doesn't feel like they're made in seven days. It is crazy. And, and, and a couple of few people that I've shown uh, these games to, they're like, wow, this this is, yeah, this is great. I can't believe that this is only five bucks. I was like, no, that's just one of them. And they're like, oh my God, this is crazy. Um uh, sorry, it's seven bucks, five, because two of those dollars are being donated to Doctors Without Borders. So it's for a good cause. Uh, you get 10 interesting indie games, wildly different games. It's going to be well worth the value. I mean, you're, you're probably going to get, uh, close to, you know, eight hours of entertainment out of this, if not more, just because of all the cool little stuff that all the developers hit in there because they're so talented. Anyways, once again, uh, we have uh, another one of the talented devs on today. Uh, uh, a, the first repeat guest for the Real Professional Podcast, we got Airdorf uh, coming on here in a second. So uh, he is here to talk about his new game, Summer Nights, and uh, also all the other stuff that's been going on. So uh, without further ado, DJ, drop that sick beat, and the beat drops. Welcome back, Eridor. How you doing, man? Hey, Ted. Good to talk to you again. Long time no talk. Yeah. Well, I mean, not really long time no talk because we like literally talk every day because of the game. <laughs> That's true. But officially on the true. podcast, I think it's been maybe a month since you were here last. If that even, Jesus, when 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 were you on? Let me. I'm actually looking this up with my very loud keyboard. I'm typing very very softly, trying to so that I don't. Uh, I got a new mic and I don't want it to pick up. So yeah, man. When we were talking about, we were prepping for the recording earlier it was like a roll of thunder <laughs> yeah i guess i that guess it's a good mic though. i um, think it sounds good it sounds great yeah yeah it's a new blue yeti mic i got it in case uh we couldn't find a voice actor for uh, oh can't talk about that uh 
You can leave that in though for a nice little hint for uh, secret. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, when we were, I got it just in case I needed to voice record some lines. Yeah, you were on just over a month ago, which really shows uh, kind of how crazy fast this whole project uh, came together for uh, the Dread X collection. I think you're our first repeat guest. I, so, I did say that. Oh, a repeat offender. Oh, mazel tov. <laughs> yeah. Unless we consider Remy a guest, because he is he is on the podcast by the grace of my own goodwill. So, anyways, back to the the conversation at hand. Um, yeah, it kind of shows how fast this whole uh, project came together because uh, it was right after we had finished our uh, episode, our recording. You know, you had mentioned something about wanting to get paid to to make something like PT. And uh, and then I said, I, I will go find the money for that. And you said, lol, okay. And then I came back like four days later. I was like, okay, I have the money for that. Did I and, say uh, lol, okay? I think I think that you, uh, I think that there was, I, I wasn't, I don't know if you knew I was being serious because uh, it was it was kind of like, it, it just came together very quickly, you know? Oh, I'm sorry if I was skeptical. I was I was all for it when we first started discussing it. Oh no no! Don't worry. But yeah, not, man, I gotta I gotta see the money though. I gotta see like it on paper. Yeah, yeah, and um, you know just, how like, I work. No, yeah, no, you you and you do work. <laughs> I you, do it's like work. A job or, it's like a job or something. Mom, if you're listening, I do work. <laughs> yeah, uh, my my parents have gone from thinking I don't do anything to seeing how much I do every day and be like, oh Jesus, they need to pay you oh, more. Man. So my mom is so sweet. She doesn't know anything about anything I've been doing or she she knows what I've been doing because I tell her. But she she doesn't she's not tech savvy enough to like she doesn't understand what like running Bonfronic connections on, you know, analyzing psychophysiological data for someone in a virtual reality environment. Like she doesn't know what all that means. She's just like, all right, that's great. Like, I'm so happy. I'm proud of you. You know, and so if I give yeah. her something that, I can, that she can like slap on the refrigerator, or, like tell her friends about like in layman's terms, that's that's usually good. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of like, so I heard my dad in the yard yesterday doing a uh, yard work and one of the neighbors walked by uh, and he was like, yeah, you know, my son's here. He does uh, the video game stuff. And I could hear like the neighbor <laughs> be like, oh, and I was like, oh, I'm not... no, negative <laughs> yeah. tone, huh? Yeah, well, it's weird because like I'm presently living in my parents' house because of quote, the uh, quote unquote boomers. Well, my, my dad, um, my dad is. He's not a boomer. He was part of the the hippie generation. So um, he is. Well, yeah, he's like one of the the first um, uh, like he's old school, classic, like Democrat liberal. So like he was like protesting the Vietnam War and stuff. He's he's that kind of a guy. And he um, classic liberal. Yeah, well, that's the that's the thing is I feel like, you know, we have to distinguish like classic well, not classical liberals in the sense that Jordan Peterson calls himself a classical liberal. Now all the politics uh, listeners are getting just rock hard. And that's something I need uh-huh. to get get rid of real quick. I know, right? <laughs> I know. Uh, but uh, he's he's like a old school Democrat, you know, back when it was uh, flower children and protesting the war and things like that. The Vietnam They're War. A different and, yeah, right. And um so uh, he looks at uh, I, I think that the the, the modern liberals uh, with like the he feel he, he he's like the kind of guy that'll get mad at politics, not because he hates Democrats, because he wanted the party to like be better. You know, like he had higher hopes for everything. Anyways, um, 
which is which is interesting. But uh, so he was talking to his uh, uh, the, one of the neighbors, and I, like I I could hear in the neighbor's voice him like assuming that I, I live in a basement and, and play World of Warcraft all the time, and that I'm a failure. But uh, uh, no, you don't I, do that. You play Total War. I play Total War all the time, and I'm a failure. Yeah, for sure. Um, no, but it's it's it is like totally strange being in my my like parents house again because i don't live here like that's i'm a, just here that's to help a bold out. thing to admit on a podcast <laughs> no I, I think that if more if more podcasters admitted that they were in their parents house that uh, it would be <laughs> but like no jesse can vouch like i have solidarity jesse can vouch i have a place in phoenix like that's like where i like normally live and i yeah. also have a place in la and uh this is like oh, just you, like, have, oh, you have places i've been to yeah, his place gotta, in... you can say i have places I've been to his place in uh, in Phoenix. He has his mom uh, deliver tendies to the basement. Um, <laughs> from from uh, several miles away. What, what about those? What about those bottles of Kool Aid jammers from the '90s? And you could like take that plastic, that funny looking plastic uh, tip off of it, and it looked like a spaceship. Oh you yeah, know what I'm talking Jesus, about? Kool-Aid I do. God, yeah, classic. Really bring yes. it back, bring it back old school. Which you is what you're known you for. Thank Jesus and God for Kool Aid jammers. <laughs> Uh, but, um, yeah, no, I just, uh, I was, I, I came here to help out because the, with the virus going on and stuff, I figured that, um, if anyone needs to make the sacrifice play of the family, he needs to be the guy that does video game journalism for a living. <laughs> uh, oh, the plague. Um, but yeah, uh, so I, and I, I honestly thought I would, when I came here to help out, I'd be here for like a week and then I'd go back up to LA and it's been like almost a month and a half now. But luckily, I've been so busy with the the Dread X collection that I, I've hardly noticed that uh, my mom's concern consistently concerned gazes. Um, oh, I just remembered I forgot to clean the, sh- the cat's litter box. Fuck, I need to do that after this podcast. Anyways, that's it. Podcast uh, is over. We have a kitty emergency, people. <laughs> we a kitty emergency. Um, yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, what I was saying is that this came together real quick because uh, we we talked. You said you wanted to do a uh, PT uh, kind of thing. And you're like, Oh, I always wanted to do kind of something more with that concept. And uh, I went to the Epic pictures people and I said, I I need money to do this thing. Uh, They said, I said, I have 10 developers that I want to bring together for this project. They said, you already have the 10 in mind. And I said, of course, hundred percent. I totally planned this. And they said, what if I told you I was assembling a team? Yeah, they said, here's your money. And then I had to figure out the 10 developers. And uh, luckily, though, I um, I think that we got like, so I think that we got a combination of uh, good names and really lucky with this one. Because some of the developers that we brought on uh, have made some crazy cool things. Yeah, I was really surprised to actually read the list. So yeah, there's me down at the bottom. And then there's an SCP Blackout guy. Mm-hmm. Which is cool. And when you told when you told me how much he was like selling on Steam, uh, which I won't, I won't say the number, but it was really impressive. So I was like, oh, OK, yeah, great. Cool. This this has a good chance. And then uh, <laughs> Dust, having David Shemansky was also really cool. Yeah. Soda Drinker Pro is on this is in this collection and uh, his stuff is really cool. I really enjoyed the images from his game. And then everybody else, I don't, I'm not super familiar with everyone else except for Torpal Duke and David. Yeah. But everyone else seems like really, like I, I've been playing some of their titles that they've been releasing on the Discord, you know, for version control and stuff. And, uh, really cool. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm impressed. Like, 
I think the yeah. thing that impresses me the most is the breadth or the variety. Well, that's the thing is that, like I said, is that like, and I, I, I mean this at the beginning of the podcast, it doesn't feel like these games were made in seven days. Mm. And there is like a, t- a huge variety. Like, um, you know, I, I Justin Renard, who's a secret cow level, he made that card game thing, um, which is a really interesting game. Um, but I was saying this, uh, I was on a, I was on this podcast last night called, uh, in the keep. Um, <clears throat> Oh, in the keep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they wanted to talk to me about, uh, the, the Dreadx collection. And since they record at four in the morning, I was like, okay, I'm not going to force anyone else to do this. I'll just take this, do this myself. Um, but, uh, you know, really nice guys. And I was saying that, uh, um, you know, Justin, he like has his own engine that he made, that he makes games in. Like he didn't use yeah. unity he didn't use unreal he like made the game in the engine that he created for a completely different game he made the engine for doom trooper which is a completely different game like it th- has no it's like a card game like hearthstone and he made like a turn-based rpg out of it i'm like how the fuck did you do that <laughs> yeah. he's like right, here you go and um you know he's like insanely talented and i didn't even know this when we when we brought him on cuz i just brought him on cuz i knew him from doom trooper like he he programmed the combat in fallout new vegas like he was he's like a bafta nominated for that i was oh, like wow. what the fuck holy shit yeah i had no idea <laughs> that's quite a thing to leave off your resume great. yeah like if you google justin renard he comes up he's part of like the fallout wiki like you can like find him <laughs> that's great yeah that's very impressive no, like, well, He's no wonder he can program his own engine. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I just had, like, no idea. Yeah. He's I, I, like, yeah, he got BAFTA nominated for Fallout New Vegas, uh, and he also worked on uh, Alpha Protocol and, like, a number of other games. And uh, he's he's and he's just, like, the nicest guy. Like, I – and. Uh, he was, he's, he's actually like, you know, said that he's really enjoyed working on this project too, which is something I've gotten from all the developers is that they're like, yeah, yeah, they yeah said that- I will, I will echo that, that same exact idea. This, this group of people that we have on this group of devs have been like, this has been one of the most supportive, like positive experiences I've ever had as a game dev, mm-hmm. mostly cause we're not collaborating with each other. <laughs> we're collaborating on a on like one project but we're submitting all our own stuff but yeah. really like showing our in progress stuff and screenshots and like you know showing ideas around and stuff like that it's been such a positive experience and everybody's been super supportive and enthusiastic about each other's work and really interested and as someone who's obsessed with attention that's really great for me and <laughs> i like it a lot yeah and but but really like this is seriously one hell of a team that you've assembled and i'm really really excited to see the new product like release day for me is it's like showing your baby off into the world you know it's like one of the happiest feelings in the world for me when i get to release a new game and i'm you know just like sitting at the computer hitting refresh to see what people think and get get the early you know opinions yeah and i'm really excited to see what this one's going to be like yeah, although we did run into a bit of a snag here because uh, we the game can't come out until May 14th before, because I'll tell you why. Uh, this is something that no one that I've ever talked to that's come out with a game has run into before um, because uh, this is so, because I, I don't think anyone's ever come out with a game this fast like that. I know that's like actually makes games. So if you if you create a new publisher and you buy your first game on that publisher, it's 30 days from when you buy the app credit to when you can actually put it out there. And uh, 
every it's like it's is this on two, Steam? Yeah, it's normally two okay. weeks. Um, and so we had had it all set up so that it would come out, you know, at the end of uh, end of April for that two week period. Um, <laughs> but because we are, we created a new publishing uh, label for all this, uh, and we, <laughs> it's like now we have to. We I was like, oh. And it was like one of those things that's in super small print. And when I talked to other people that have published games on Steam, they're like, yeah, I had no idea. Because no one comes out with a game, creates the page, and then releases it within a month, you know? I guess not. Huh, that's kind of some red tape that I didn't know about. Yeah, so if you're out there it's a little and you're making annoying. your first game, yeah, the, the first ever app credit that you buy, which is how you get games put on Steam, is that you'd put it down 100 bucks yeah, as an yeah, app yeah. credit. Yeah, okay. and then, um, which by the way, you actually get that. Uh, money back after you sell a thousand dollars in sales yeah i've heard that yeah which is which is cool um but yeah so that's that's one of the reasons why the 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 steam page uh has yet to go live also we're waiting on the the really cool trailer which uh i'm I'm excited to show people because we got all the footage for that going out and uh so i should be hearing back about that soon and uh, i guess we'll also start talking about the the fact that uh we we recently locked down uh some voice work that we got for the the game as well which is this guy named uh leo wiggins uh and uh he is really really good he was the voice of the new receiver in receiver 2 um which was the best part of that game it was funny cuz i was talking to him and uh, he was like, yeah, I was in Receiver 2. And I was like, oh, I'm presently giving that game uh, a two and a half out of five. <laughs> he's like, oh, is it because of me? And I was like, no, you were the, you're the best part. The rest of the game uh, kind of sucked. And he was like, well, as long as I was good. And he's just this really nice guy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, um, we got some cool stuff coming in with that. And I don't want to spoil too much about what he's going to be doing for the game. But um, I just I kind of wanted to give people a hint that uh, the package is going to be uh, slightly uh, it, even if you're just buying it for the 10 games, there's going to be more there than what you expected. So, uh, anyways, um, I, I, you know, I, and speaking of the, the, the supportiveness and the collaboration of this project, one of the coolest things I would say about doing this all with, was, is seeing kind of like Torpal Duke get excited about the people, like, you know, being, starting to follow him and stuff. Cause he's, he's like <laughs> a really, really cool guy that I don't feel has like put himself out there en- enough, you know? Yeah, well, as you as you heard in the podcast, and I I listened to his podcast episode, him and I are buddies, as y'all know now, if you had if you had mm-hmm. listened to the podcast. But yeah, uh, getting into the industry is tough, some, and sometimes you have to take opportunities. And and uh, I am glad that he is branching out into the indie space because the guy like literally eats, breathes, and sleeps and poops game design. And even those poops are sparkly, like troll poops. Mm-hmm. Is, was that the thing in the movie? Anyway, uh, so like all he talks about, thinks about is game design. And him and I have had some great, like game, like design centered conversations at Chick Fil A, as you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, he's a great guy, and I am very happy for the following that he's getting. He deserves it because his Hand of Doom game is like really cool. Mm-hmm. And anyone, it is. Who, anyone who plays it will instantly think that they've been transported back to the 90s and are playing one of those like old school RPGs, like like previous Elder Scrolls titles and stuff like that. Yeah, well, that's the thing that, um, you know, uh, Zolivir was saying is that none of these these games like they don't feel hacked together with like Twine. Uh, like, I guess I shouldn't say Twine because Twine is like an actual game development software kind of uh, they're not like hacked together with like tape and stuff. It's like, you know, I could very uh, there. This is this is the intro to a a larger thing that we we could possibly throw 
uh, money at. And with, 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 you know, Reed's thing, uh, Torbal Duke's thing, um, I don't want to spoil too much, but like, it, you do get the sense of like, oh, he made like an infrastructure that is, you know, this is just part one of a larger infrastructure that he's created. Yeah. Does that make sense? Of, yeah, absolutely. One of the things I love about him and that I love about our game design, game design conversations is that he is very systems centric. So when he, when we were doing stuff for educational games, maybe two or three years ago, he was in charge of an entire system, uh, like a branching system for the, uh, Artema Senes game. Mm-hmm. And so he, he created that system. And whenever he, and this was something I learned when we were collaborating on Earl's day off is that while I am very affect centric, like I think first and foremost about the affect, like the feeling I want to give the player. So I'm going to make a game that makes the player feel like they are, you know, embroiled in a satanic conspiracy in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. Or I want to make a game that feels like you are playing a cursed tiger handheld game, which we'll mm-hmm. talk about hopefully later on in this episode. Yeah, we'll talk and about so, that soon. And he, when he thinks first and foremost about systems, or when he, not necessarily, he thinks about the overall concept of the game, you know, what he wants to do, and then he gets to work on the systems. And that's a huge advantage for building like game design that feels professional and feels like it was very thoughtfully designed to support the mechanics of the game. Mm-hmm. And I would put systems more in terms of development than design, but in practice, that's what he, that's what he goes for. And so I think it's really cool when, he, when, and I hope that if, or when, and I do hope that he decides to expand hand of doom beyond the, the playable, playable teasers in the collection. Mm-hmm. I know it'll have like a really solid found like systemic foundation you know, kind of like Doom, how it has this very simple system in place for movement, interaction. This gun has this, you know, this weapon has these properties. These enemies have these properties. And the way you mix all of the, all those elements together creates fun gameplay. Whereas everything, whereas what I do, I think of thing, I, I, t- I think of design in terms of affect, mechanics, and narrative. Narrative usually takes a backseat <laughs> to all of those things. But if I can make a game that has uh, that we're in in the game space, everything supports those mechanics and supports like flow and mastery of the mechanics, but at the same time supports the affect that I am trying to accomplish in the player, then I will consider myself successful. And I think mm-hmm. he's got that too. He's got uh, Hand of Doom has some serious atmosphere. Yeah. And it's very very atmospheric, and I really liked you know playing through the like navigating through that world and that space that he designed. And of course he's invented some really fun mechanics and like spell mechanics for the game. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm super excited for people to play it. And then mine of course is, is like, I'm trying to make it like a catastrophic level of horror. I'm trying my hardest. I think it's, I think it's kind of disturbing and creepy. Your game. Yeah. Summer night. That's what it's yeah. called. Yeah. Summer, summer night. And, uh, yeah, I, I think that you you did a good job with. I think that how would I put it? If people like Airdorf games, they're going to like Summer Night. <laughs> yeah, I think there's some definitely some parts like horror elements that you will be familiar with in Faith. The um, you know the oh my gosh, what the f is that effect? You know the fear of the unknown, fear of the incomprehensible. That's definitely there. But I do some things in the game world that I did differently in faith that I, I wouldn't dare cross that line in faith because it doesn't 
make sense thematically mm-hmm. or, or or technically. And so I'm yeah, I'm gonna do some things in Summer Night that I, I think will creep players out and in kind of a I don't know, in kind of an underutilized way. So I'm being kind of experimental with it. And it's got a really cool it's got a fun little surprise at the end. Definitely yeah. wear definitely wear headphones if you're playing it. <laughs> you should wear yeah. headphones when playing any horror game. Or else you're a wimpy. Yeah, I mean, or unless you're uh, like Just me, kidding, I do the and same thing. I, I I usually play them without headphones though because um, I usually like have to do like run double shift um, on like editing like listening to a podcast to edit and playing the game and to do that through headphones like gives like me nightmares. <laughs> oh, interesting. Um, okay, so uh, summer nights, uh, summer night. Uh, there was a. So when we, we, you know, pitched this project, it was, you know, make, uh, the, the, the playable teaser, the PT for, uh, a, a project. And the thing about PT that, uh, you know, people often forget is that it was a intro to the idea of Silent Hills, but it wasn't what Silent Hills was going to entirely be. Like, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Silent Hills wasn't going to be, uh, a, a series of hallways that you walk through over and over again while spooky things happen in first person. It wasn't even going to be a first person game, um, except for certain parts. That was the, the idea. Um, so for, for summer night, you have, uh, this, this tiger electronic game. And, um, the, the question really is, is that do you have a vision for how this would open up into a larger world and what would that world look like? Yeah. I don't want to, you know, I don't want to give away too much about it because mm-hmm. I, I really hate talking about talking spoilers about my games like at yeah. all until. till the game's already out. But I think that there are aspects of it I would definitely like to expand. Mm-hmm. I had a whole bunch of ideas for this, but I had to cut it like there was there was going to be different uh, characters, I guess we'll call them. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of more different characters because there's going to be a few more mechanics but in the end, the stuff that I cut really kind of reinforced what I was trying to do and what I'm I've been trying to do since since I started working on Faith, which is convey a horror experience using, you know, in a very minimalist, deconstructivist, you know, approach. Mm-hmm. Like which Faith, I feel you really have horror. Like Faith, I mean, horror in in general is you don't need a billion dollars to make a good horror game, and Faith is a good example of that. Definitely not. I did not have a billion dollars to make faith. If anyone knows where a billion dollars might be found, they can. They should definitely tell me. But uh, for now, I don't have that. And that's, I yeah, literally a shoestring budget. I had a, I had a, I had a higher budget making, <laughs> making summer night than, <laughs> than making faith. So uh, we'll see. Which is a ringing endorsement for anyone that wants to be part of uh, part two. <laughs> so if people enjoyed faith for the reason of it, for its limitations and its minimalist style, then I think they will enjoy summer night even more because it is even more limited and even more minimalist. And I really had to, I really had to think about the technical aspects of, I don't want to say tiger handheld. I'm calling it like LCD handheld. Yeah. I mean, it's because it's it's pixel art. And you know, what's funny is on Twitter. I got, I got, what do you call it? I got the finger wagged at me by <laughs> by a graphics programmer who was like, actually, Tiger handhelds used uh, it was like it was drawings, not pixel art. So what you're doing is actually wrong. And I was like, well, 
sorry. <laughs> like, <it's all> <laughs> Little did you know that that would be the guy that calls you out. In you the that shit. No, what I've mostly been called out is not making faith chapter three. Yeah. It's like for for every for everything I say that is not faith related, I get maybe ten people who are like faith three one. But I guess that's good because they're still excited about the franchise, so that when I when I do finish the faith series, like they'll still be excited about it. Yeah. I, I do but actually want to ask a little bit about Faith Three Win. Uh so um <laughs> because no That's um too brute. Well no, because I think that there is an interesting story here with uh you know New Blood as a company. Because I know that David Shemansky is now the creative director of New Blood. That's one of the things he was saying when he was a guest. Um and we're we're getting a sense that uh New Blood as a company is you know, kind of different than a lot of other uh, publishing labels that are out there. It seems to be more of a cooperative, you know, like a collective, like a like a like a grocery co-op than than like a you know a publisher telling you what to do when to do it. Um, you know. Oh God, did I join a co-op and, and not not realize it? You did. You you, My parents you actually joined a cult. You joined a cult <laughs> without even realizing. It. I I did. I really did. The cult of Dave Oshry. I know it's it's kind of weird, but uh, Dave seems like a nice guy. He doesn't follow me on Twitter though, so I I am offended. But uh, Dave's like, incredible. Yeah, if you tell if you man, he's like he's like the band Kiss. They he always gives his fans what they want. And mm-hmm. if you, I'm sure if you uh, if you bothered him on, enough on Twitter, he'll give you some attention. But I don't I don't know about follow. He might be trying to. He might be trying. Well, how many people is he yeah. following? Look right now. I don't know. I I was joking. I just uh uh I I I just thought it was funny. No, no. I can tell that your feelings are hurt. Let's I'll tell you what. I'll DM him and and we'll see. <laughs> tell him if he if he follows me by the end of this podcast, I'll tell I'll tell the whole world that he's incredibly pretty. Um, he is oh, pretty though. He knows. Uh, good. That's that's good. Um, but yeah. So uh, uh, but yeah. That's the thing is that you know, New Blood is it seems to be very um creator focused in the sense that the, you know they're they're looking at creating these these old school style games and letting people kind of live their passion with it. Because I was looking at a uh, you know all the development for Gloomwood, which actually Jesse, you got a chance to check out Gloomwood at uh PAX. Yeah, it was fucking dope. Um, yeah. I don't know what else to say about it. It was cool. Uh, I'm yeah. gonna pay real American greenback dollars when it comes out. Oh, hell yeah. Don't joke, Jesse. We don't pay for games. We're yeah. part of the industry. Yeah, I, <laughs> no, I know. I'm just kidding. I, uh, I know. Any, I, I, I don't have any dollars yeah. to pay anyways. <laughs> uh, Airdorf can verify I do pay dollars for my games because I paid for Earl's Day Off. <laughs> I got dollars. I did not get paid in exposure. That that came later. Yeah, no, that was you got paid in uh, cash dollars, which is good. I, I paid um, him in exposure. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, so what you, you know, faith is in faith, uh, the unholy Trinity is, is being, is coming out under new blood. Um, yeah. and I just kind of am curious, you know, where do you see faith being positioned within, within new blood? Do you see the company <laughs> continuing the franchise? Do you see, like, what do you think is the future of Faith? I know you're focused on three, but, you know, it's it's like becoming a thing. You know, it's not it's not it just some game that people discovered on itch.io. It's like now you have a following. Now you have people that want it. Now you're in a company that sells like games, you know, um, and I'm just kind of curious. What is what is your vision for? it? Well, 
their vision is definitely in line with my vision, and I wouldn't have chosen them as a publisher if they weren't. Like I say, I say this all the time when people ask about New Bloods and what they're like. If I didn't think they were the best publisher that I could ask for right now, and you know, in, in this timeline of my career, then I wouldn't have chosen them. And so the the arrangement that we have is so freaking sweet, and it retains so much of my creative freedom that you're right. It is more like a cooperation or, or uh, you know, between us. And Dave was my first point of contact, basically. I didn't even know David was part. I didn't know David was really part of it until later, I think. But I just made some joke about a publisher, and Dave uh, got a hold of me personally uh, and was like, we're serious about this. Like, seriously, let's talk. And the first thing he said was that he loves Faith and that he's, like, scared to death of it. And basically the details of the agreement that we have are are really conducive to my creative vision. I, I, uh, everything that you think that I could retain as a creator in a publisher agreement, publisher developer agreement is, is retained. And so I have a lot of flexibility, a lot of freedom, and I really, I really respect and I've come to admire their philosophy of not rushing games of not crunch. Well, you can crunch if you want. I crunched plenty when I did the, uh, I, I did self crunch plenty when I was putting out the demo for chapter three, but you know, when you're doing passion projects, that just happens, I guess, mm-hmm. if yeah. you want. Never do it unless you're sure you have the time. And I didn't, no, I didn't have the time. I just kind of made it work and <laughs> pushed like. That's the thing. I mean, you will, you will just make things work sometimes. Yeah. So anyway, James Gunn, make it work, people. And mm-hmm. I, I love James Gunn. Anyway, I uh, do you ever watch Project Runway? Uh, I I've not in a in a while. I have an ex girlfriend they used to watch it with, but uh, if you if you're a creative person and and you're going to school for like design in anything, like architectural design, game design, whatever, fashion design, you have to watch Project Runway. It's one of those great like critique. You know, can you handle pressure in a in a comp in not a competition, but in a you know critique situation kind of show. Mm-hmm. But anyway, yeah. James Gunn is. James Gunn is my bro, but yeah, you just make it work. <laughs> and then, so the future of faith, definitely going to try to get something out by Halloween. Cause that's like my, that's like the big show for us horror devs. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't understand how I fit in with them, you know, because they all do shooters, you know, dusk. Well, there were some other games. There was unfortunate spaceman, which is sort of a shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was Tonight We Riot wasn't really a shooter, but I don't think Tonight We Riot is with them anymore. And then there's Dusk and a Medieval. Now we're doing Gloomwood, which is part shooter, part immersive sim. They just picked up another game. I don't know if I can talk about it, but lots of shooters, right? So that's what they're kind of known for, especially with Dusk being their flagship game. Mm-hmm. And so there's Little Old Me, and Faith is not a shooter unless you count the gun with one bullet at the end of Faith <laughs> 1. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... It was really flattering and really, but at, but it from the the flatteringness turned to encouragement and support because they're really cool guys that guys and gals that work there, and they are um, they're really supportive of my vision. They give suggestions, not demands, mm-hmm. and Dave especially has such a knack for things like marketing and and making connections and making opportunities and stuff that I I know I can trust him with the franchise. And so, yeah, Faith the Unholy Trinity is is definitely still happening. I'm still working on it. 
the thing is, it is a publisher agreement, so I'm not, I'm not like, this is just one detail. Like, I'm not collecting a paycheck, like, all the time from them. So I still have to look for money as a game dev. So, like, I jump on opportunities when I can, like, you know, work, doing a game jam game or working for clients in the movie industry, mm-hmm. like I did with Extraordinary or doing one of, you know, the, one of these sponsored game jams and, and stuff. So, like, it's not like things are getting in the way. It's just, like, I am earning a living so that I can make, so I can finish Chapter 3. Yeah. And I can't just sit down. This is kind of the the struggle, I guess, is that I can't sit down on a weekend and finish. Fate. Hello. Oh no, Erdorf died. Oh. Hello, you still there? Yeah, I'm I'm there. Okay, cool. You said I can't just sit down on a weekend and finish Fate, I... and then it cut out. Oh, okay. I heard like a it was like a sonar frequency. I must have must have got dropped from the call. Sorry about oh, that. Oh no, that was just the government. Yeah, CIA. <laughs> it's the FBI yeah. guy. Heart attack gun missed. Yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> heart attack gun. So I, uh, I can't just sit down and finish Faith, the Unholy Trinity in a weekend. You know, I have to take opportunities to earn a living so that I could finish it. But in, you know, in the meantime, like, I'm still really proud of my work and, and stuff. I like, I, I think Summer Night turned out like pretty dang cool. I'm really proud of Earl's Day Off and Extraordinary. Mm-hmm. So things are going to kind of calm down for me life-wise. Well, in terms of my life, several things are going to resolve themselves here in in the next month. And so I'll have more time to work on it. My goal is to work pretty heavily on faith during the summer in addition to, um, you know, things like my day job and stuff, which kind of keep me afloat financially. Yeah. But it will no, happen. And besides that, we are planning some – in one particular – very interesting very interesting expansion of the faith universe so we're gonna we're gonna do something pretty crazy that i've never done before with a game and it's gonna hit a whole new market and i'm really excited for it Mm -hmm. so hopefully that will happen sometime this summer good i think that um everybody but the faith if you can call it the faith fandom if you could call it the Faith Fandom, they've been super supportive of all of these other projects and opportunities that I've taken. A, so I can earn a living, and B, so that I can continue to develop creatively. But there's always going to be someone who, like, I tweet about anything besides Faith 3 tomorrow, and they're going to be like, Faith 3 when? And I understand that's just kind of like the like the kind of the pushy, demanding game gamer culture, and in some ways they kind of play they're probably just playing into that meme mm-hmm. but still but it still hurts my feelings <laughs> i think they probably they, it I think hurts my feelings probably... because i'm so excited to show them stuff about faith and there's stuff that i could show them you know like i could show them the new the new environments i'm working on and like new rotoscope cutscenes. but where what where's the fun in basically having a steady stream of updates that are spoilery and with a horror game like with a horror game where the aim is to surprise and to unnerve and to creep out the player, what advantage do would I have? I would have no advantage whatsoever, and it would do me no service to continually show what I'm working on. So all they have to work on, all they have to live off of, is me saying, "I'm working on it. Like, please be patient. It'll come out when it comes out." I am hoping for Halloween to have a major milestone complete in the Unholy Trinity. And I think that honestly, like, you know, when you're, you're thinking about the, the, the game is like, 
when you're thinking about the, the fans that say, uh, you know, face free win, I, they might just be thinking that they're being, you know, clever or funny or you don't know what their sense of humor is. Or enthusiastic. <laughs> I yeah. think my imposter syndrome gets in the, my like self-loathing gets in the way when I'm like, Oh God, they're asking when faith is here. Like I'm a fraud. They think I'm a, they think I'm terrible. <laughs> I got to remind myself that it could be that they're just like excited about my work. And it's somehow really hard, hard for me to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm going to a counselor. I'm working on it. <laughs> I'm learning, learning to love myself. Yeah, well, you know, that's that's a good thing uh, to do is to to learn to love yourself or else the demons get you and the demons of your mind, which is, uh, you know, one of the themes of the, the Dread X collection, which I can't. I'm trying to think about how much I can talk about with that. <laughs> my mom Stop, always you're such said, a tease. My mom always said, if you don't love you, Satan will. Whoa. <laughs> no, she didn't. <laughs> Do you have any questions here for Mr. Dorf? Uh, Mr. Dorf. <laughs> have you considered is... naming any offspring that you might have Land Dwarf? No. Air Dwarf. Air, Fire Air Dwarf. Dwarf has nothing to do with my Earth Dwarf. Fire powers combined. Tried, I, tried, I tried so hard to slip in a name from Faith into our kid's name. Oh, y'all probably don't know this. I'm going to be a dad next month. <laughs> Oh, Mazel Tov. Congratulations. The, again. That's one of the things that's going to be, that's one of the things that's going to be kind of resolved, but not really. It's just going to open up a little Pandora's box. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, we're having a kid next month and we're excited about it. Excited yeah. is the word I'm going to choose to use. Yeah, and sure. Always a little nervous, but yeah, just very excited. But I tried so hard. To uh, insert some names from the from my games in there, but I, I seriously thought you were going to say I tried so hard to insert a baby into her. I was like, Jesus Christ, where is he going with this? I thought <laughs> I thought you were going to say I tried so hard to have a baby, and it's like that's a little like private information. I tried, I tried so hard to to pull an Arnold Schwarzenegger and and have a baby myself, but <laughs> apparently it's very expensive. Very expensive to do that. Yeah. Um, uh. Anyways, now that we've avoided that little disaster, uh, you were saying trying so hard about something else, and I totally spaced. No, I tried to insert names from... I tried to name her something related to Faith. What was the name? Well, well you know, Faith. names from... <laughs> yeah, Faith, Faith would be a good start. Uh, let's see, Amy would be one. Uh, Lisa would be one. Tiffany would be one. Uh, let's see. Karen is yeah. Karen is John's wife, which is, I didn't think of the meme when that happened. When I did that, and then yeah. let's see yeah. what's the other one. Dude, you're really know. missing out. You should just name her Faith, and then in interviews you say, "Well, you know, Faith is my baby." Those are dumb. Oh, I get it. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Dude, my energy drink must be like wearing off. <laughs> we got Ted I'm had really a great idea, slipping. babe. We got to change the course of our lives for his his pun. It's a real good one. I really be slipping. But yeah, it's gonna be fun, but but we're really nervous and excited sure. at this time. Yeah, I um, oh god, I can't imagine what it'd be like to try to like finish a franchise like and have a kid. That'd be crazy. 
Just don't start sucking because you have a kid. I know that uh, some people like they lose their edge when they have kids because they they can't bring themselves to like kill characters anymore because they're like, oh no, the, the the feeling inside of me that was awakened, like that now I care and I don't want to kill things that I that I these characters that I like. And it's like, no, don't let that happen. Be be like George Miller. Come out with fucking Mad Max Fury Road when you're like eighty seven. Oh man, I love that film. And the motorcycle, it shoots flames. George Miller, you're a badass. Man, he really did a number on that film. I guess he storyboarded the whole thing for like years yeah. before before they started. Like, well, you should always have storyboards before you shoot. But the way he did it was so comprehensive. I really enjoyed it. We went and saw it at the Alamo Draft House in Dal in Fort Wool, yeah, Dallas. And they had the they had the sound cranked pretty dang high when we were in that little theater. So you could like feel the engines and stuff. It was, it was something. My wife hated it, but I was having fun. Yeah, it's one of those ga- uh, games, films that I think the, the theatrical experience really lends itself to. You know, Saturdays are for the war boys. That's a dumb joke. I don't know why. I don't know why. War boys. Important job. So uh, that was a good movie, and uh, I think that more movies should feature people jumping off of cars into other cars with grenades and then blowing up, because that was pretty cool. Um, that would have been a way better ending for Paul Walker in the Fast and the Furious movies. That would have been Ooh. way cooler. Ooh. Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I mean, that, that's a... I, so I saw uh, Hobbs and Shaw. my brother. Yeah. Hobbs I, and Shaw? What a joke. I think it's probably the best movie I've ever seen in my entire life. Because I, I yeah. walked in and I was like, I want to see two man children make dick jokes and then punch for two hours. And it was like, I got you, fam. And then they just they punched just made dick jokes and hours. punched for two hours. Did I this see that? Did I see that with you? Yeah, we saw that in like IMAX. Oh yeah, that was great. Oh really? Uh, they'll yeah. put anything on IMAX. I thought it. I thought it was. I thought the I thought Jason Statham and The Rock were like horribly underutilized in that film to make way for some CG budget, I guess. But I did like the part in Samoa where Dwayne The Rock Johnson gathers his his Samoan family and they they stage a, a seven samurai type type fortress defense. Yeah, they should have. They should. I liked that. I liked that part. They should have all been I shot immediately. All the stuff with like the nano machines and like the 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 sister or, or daughter or whatever and like all that stuff is just ah. No, I, I think it was it was really well. Um, like okay, so for me as a guy that looks at the the writing craft of a movie, I think it was actually really clever the way that they wrote guns out of the movie so they could have more punch fights. Because <laughs> like obviously the question is like okay, if Rock goes and gets his Samoan buddies and they and they want to have a punch fight, why do they not just shoot them? And they came up with this entire I, I, I guarantee you that entire story was invented so that they could just write guns out of the movie to have more punch fights with Samoans. <laughs> like that's, that's why they did that. And then like, it cause it doesn't make sense otherwise why they would have that in the movie. Like there, there there's no reason why you'd have like bio locked guns when like just guns work. Yeah. That's true. Um, one last, one last thing about that. Uh, the, the guy who played, um, what's his name? Jonah, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson's brother in Samoa looks exactly like Osama bin Laden's son. <laughs> I don't know if you've seen pictures Fun of fact. Yeah, I don't know if you've seen pictures of Osama bin Laden's son, but he's like a like a like a punk and he's got cornrows and uh, a leather jacket. Um, what does he do? 
What do you do when you're Osama bin Laden's son? To not be associated with Osama <laughs> bin Laden. Keep your head down, I guess. I don't Frankly, know. you would not expect Osama profile. bin Laden's son to go into the punk scene, so I guess it's, he's doing a good job. Yeah. He's like a musician? He's like a performer? Probably just go back to being like a Saudi uh, construction machine baron or whatever, you know. Just take well, over like, the family that's business. The thing about, yeah, Osama bin Laden is that he came from like vast wealth. Like he was not... The, the, the Bin Laden family was known as being very Western friendly for being the construction moguls of uh, the, the Middle East. They were like very pro-America and all that stuff. Um, and then uh, Osama was like the black sheep of the family. And, but he was raised in that. So like Osama Bin Laden in his early days wasn't wearing the, 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 the white you know robes and the, the stuff. Um, yeah, he was more Westernized. I, I've seen photos of him in college and I, I always thought yeah. they were really eerie. It's like Dang, that's the guy. As a college yeah. kid, what happened? That'd be, that'd be so weird if, like, you were friends with you know Bin Laden in college, and you're like, damn, I remember when we used to like smoke kooka together. Like Bin Laden. Oh, you, you probably didn't even go by Osama back then. He was probably like you know something like Gary my Bin name Laden, Oliver Bin Laden, Steve, Steve Bin Laden, <laughs> Steve Bin Laden. Yeah. <laughs> I don't because I, I don't know if Osama's his given name because I'm not sure. But anyways, I, I, I'm I'm starting to speak. Uh, I don't claim to be. I don't claim to know anything other than yeah. the limited amount of information we were allowed to know during the early 2000s. <laughs> but I think, but I will say, I will say this: true horror comes from real life every time. Oh, for and sure. And I feel yeah. a sense. I feel a sense of horror when I see photos of people like that. You know, before they were famous, and I'm like, dang, yeah. so much, yeah. so much potential. Yeah, and and remember, we now pronounce it Osama bin Laden, and we all pretend like we've always pronounced it that way. That's that's the thing is that his name is actually pronounced Osama bin Laden. If you watch movies now, they all they pronounce him that way. Zero Dark Thirty oh, okay. and such. Yeah, revisionist that's history. Great. We've we've been we are at war with, with East Asia. We've always been at war with East Asia. We will always be at war with East Asia. Mm-hmm. All that that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I um. The, the I made the joke in the tweet about the the conscript game about uh, it said something like Yo dog, I hear you like horror, so I put horror within your horrors, so you can lose your mind while you lose your mind, because uh, it's like the I said uh, experience psychological horror while you experience horrors horrors that will wreck your psychology, because the shell shock mixed with Silent Hill, and I was like, I wonder, you know, that's like uh, it's just always like. When are we going to have the horror 9-11 game? You know, like I, I, I always think I you think mean about, no one's like, made a 9-11 uh, September 11th game. The, no, I mean, like a, like a they have? game. Check new like, grounds. Yeah, I know there's the Kennedy have, assassination yeah. game. That was a lot of fun. So was, the Kennedy assassination I'm not going <laughs> to say it. The Kennedy assassination game was was a uh, marketing stunt when they tried to say that. Uh, no one could ever recreate the shot of JFK. And if you recreated it, they give you a million dollars or something. I, I remember this all happening. And uh, someone recreated it like the first day. Because if you actually, um, I don't want to get into conspiracy theories here, but like the physics, the physics I do. checks out. Well, the, the physics on how he got shot and how he looked after he got shot does check out. Um, and a lot of people, the, the way that they're like, well, his head wouldn't move like that. Uh, in real life, when you get shot, you don't um, like flail about you don't like explode you you just slump over 
but that's real life because it, it the bullet goes through you so fast that it doesn't and it, there's not enough drag on your actual body that it doesn't like make you move backwards but if you ever watch videos of people getting shot in war and stuff they just fall over there's no dramatics to it it's like they were there and then they're not it's really really terrifying to look at but um yeah that's that's basically uh how it reminds, it'll work reminds me of that tiger king episode where they they show the guy's reaction to um one of that guy's husbands um killing himself mm. like off camera mm. and all you see is his, re- his reaction and that's how he describes it he described it as like he was there and then he wasn't and the the second that the, the shot rang out i knew he was dead like i could see that he was dead yeah yeah it's pretty terrifying um to see in real life uh like people actually dying uh <clears throat> it's i don't know how to I've never experienced that. I've experienced near, I've experienced near disasters. Well, I saw a guy in Argentina put a gun to another guy's, uh, shove a a gun in another guy's face. Really? Yeah. I didn't see anything happen. uh, It was like a robbery right in front of me. Okay. The, the unfortunate nature of being a person who, uh, is, uh, a recovered addict like myself um, is that, and, and I use addict and alcoholic, the terms interchangeably, uh, is that you will have the unfortunate reality that uh, many of your friends that you make uh, in that community will die. Um, they always say when you, when you, you know, get sober, uh, buy a really nice suit because you're going to be to a lot of weddings and you're going to be to a lot of funerals. So uh, that is like the, the, huh. the, yeah, the gallows nature of uh, a lot of the humor that we get. You know, this is actually an interesting conversation because I was interviewing um, the uh, guy that runs Stack Up, which is a veteran organization. Uh, and um, I really expected the conversation to go one way because this was at PAC South and they had Stack Up there and then the, the U.S. Army esports team. And I was kind of expecting Stack Up to be a, like a hoorah, ho, like I'll go Marines. And they're really not. Um, and I don't want to speak out of turn because I'm not saying that they don't support our troops or anything like that. Um, they're not anti-military. But when I was talking to him, he was like, look, there's really like fucked up shit that happens out there and people need a support group. And we, it does, it behooves no one to not talk about it. And he was talking about, he was like saying like, you know, there's, there's like people out there that are soldiers that like sign up so that they can kill someone. Like that's like a real thing. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, and there are people that sign up because they grew up in the Midwest and they don't have any other option if they want to get an education. And you put those two people in the same unit and there's going to be like damage, like psychological damage to like, you know, that kind of stuff that we don't. And, and we in, in our cheery view of, you know, the, the pro military hurrah and all that stuff, we don't see that. And I'm like, hmm. yeah, damn, man, that's true. And then we, we were talking about um a lot of the problems that veterans have when they get out of the military is the sense of uh, loss of purpose. But in, in a grander sense, it's also a sense of disconnect from the things that they once felt connection to. Because um, like when, when, when you, it, it changes you when you see things like that, when you experience things like that, uh, it, whether it be friends dying, uh, the, co- the combat situation, things like that. Um, and I always find that uh, veterans tend to have a much darker sense of humor, like an incredibly gallows sense of humor. And it's, it's very similar to what you find in um, addicts because uh, you, your brain has to find ways to cope with like, first off, the very real reality of a lot of things that people that are in recovery were doing for a long time could have killed them. And also the fact that like a lot of their friends died doing the things that they did. And it's like, 
that is where this kind of like dark sense of like, you know, making a joke about passing out behind a dumpster that like would make your mother clutch her pearls. The rest of us, like, you know, me and all these other people that have been through that would laugh at it. And, um, and I, I, I think that that's why I really love the horror space um, is because it's a place where people can feel less strange for taking part in a community where they uh, explore darker ideas. Um, even, uh. even if, yeah. So it's like, when 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 I play a, a, a horror game, it's and I see someone else, uh, you know, making this gory display and things like that. I don't feel so weird anymore. That's what I what I mean to say. That's really interesting. I I have heard that for a lot of people, horror is like a type of therapy, or it's very therapeutic for them because it's like a controlled environment where they can experience the negative, but they can always escape it. You know, they can just hit quit. Yeah. Or they could, they could, uh, you know, they come out okay. You know, there's a resolution to it. And mm-hmm. I, I think, I think a lot of people are looking for a, a, just like a conclusion from the horrors that they experience in, in real life. That's yeah. kind of what inspired Summer Night. Mm-hmm. Summer Night kind of has this underlying kind of deeper theme of, of escaping and not being allowed to escape. And it's, it was kind of interesting to kind of play with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I definitely see that having having played it, and uh, it's like we're now reaching the territory where we can't talk about it more. You know, it's like let's talk about the deeper themes, but oh, then we'd spoil things. So let's not do that. <laughs> um, because there is a, a a deeper plot to uh, uh, Summer Night, and uh, so that's not a spoiler. Is to say that the the game is uh, a game with a plot. Well, like not really a plot, but a, a story. <laughs> a series of events happen in the game. <laughs> Let's just say that things happen in your game. That's good. I think we can all agree on that. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that uh, uh, if what you come into the Dread Eggs collection is expecting 10 horror games, what you're going to get is 10 wildly different horror games that explore different kinds of horror. And that was one of the things that really excited me about you know, getting this team together and working on this project. Um, you know, I've said this on, on previous episodes, but when we uh, when we had that first call, you know, to, to see what everyone wanted to work on, uh, I didn't like prep anyone and say, like, you make this, you make this. Uh, but we, we got into that call and we had 10 completely different ideas. Yeah, the the call was really interesting. And it was really interesting to hear what they had in mind and then to see it executed. Mm-hmm. Like we, we, there was a, there was discussion of a post-apocalyptic Britain with giant insects. And, and, and it happened. And <laughs> it got, happened. We have, yeah. So you're, you'll be able to play that. And it's really, really interesting. And it's by the, by the creator of one of the coolest, coolest games on the, what was it? The haunted, PS1 haunted PS1. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, known known from that so i'm really excited about the level of of like diverse and like various kind of ideas i i I think james rag uh is the guy that made uh his his game for the haunted ps1 demo disc was dread delusion he goes by lovely hell placer that's right yeah um i think that he is if he keeps with it going to be the next like you know kira or puppet combo or something like that Mm, it's a tall order. 
No, he's incredibly hard to, hard, to, hard to match puppet combos output. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's true. Um, and I'm not, I'm not. Yeah, I, want, I don't want to. But uh, what I'm saying is that he's that good. So it's it's all compliments to the people that I'm comparing him to. Yeah, I'm excited. There was some I played through his, one of his latest builds and of the one that he's doing for this collection. And there was a, a part at the end that made me jump and was really, really unsettling and unnerving. So I yeah. really, I really like that. Yeah. The There's funny a thing is, in game. yeah. The thing is, I think people have these weird, di- like, divergent views on like on what what a horror game is and what a horror game is supposed to be. I'm trying to I'm trying to steer away from like the jump scare fests that the YouTubers are are so famous for do, for perpetuating like that whole aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think it works for some creators. And I think it works for some games, but I've just never, I've never been interested in cheap jump scares. I, I I'm fine with some jump scares, mm-hmm. but I, I try to instill a sense of dread and creepiness. I think there's a fine line between a jump scare that is meant to startle you and a moment where you are so unnerved and shocked by what you're seeing and like surprised in like a very dreadful way. Like that's, that's the affect that I want to give players personally. That's like my personal horror philosophy for games. Yeah. I'm not going to say that there's no jump scares in the Dread X collection, but I also, um, I think that jump scares get a bad name because of uh, their overuse, but there is an effective way to jump scare someone and there is an effective way to fit it into a larger ah. pastiche of scares. I'll use a, I'll use an example. So Pony Factory. Have you already covered Pony Factory? Uh, on, I, I, on this we, podcast. Yeah, we we talked to David, but um, we haven't. I don't think we've shown anyone the whole game yet. So uh, go ahead and say okay. it, and then so if without, we have to cut, yeah, we'll without, cut it. No, I, I get what you're saying. So along the lines of jump scares, Pony Factory is a great example of a system in place where you will get startled by things constantly. And you will you will get jump scared by things constantly, but they're part of the system of the game. Yeah. It's 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 not like a trigger where you walk down the hall and you pass that trigger and all of a sudden the exorcist girl face pops up and there's a loud there's the sound of like a, a dentist drill in your ear, you know, for five seconds. Mm-hmm. And it, it makes you rip off your headphones. Like it's not like it's not like that. That's what I would call a cheap jump scare. But it, but if you have a, a system in place where you are scared you're unnerved and you are scared and you're nervous about and, and kind of like you you have this like dread-filled anxiety about, about what's coming at you that's the kind of stuff that i want and if you're startled by that then you know all the better yeah I would it's say the build-up um, yeah not only the build-up but the what did alfred hitchcock say uh no, it's, not the, it's not the bang it's the anticipation of it yeah 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 um i would what i would say about uh jump scares is that um, so with a game like David's where you're constantly startled, it's mechanics driven because when you are scared, it's hard to aim and you have to shoot the things that are startling you. That is the the purpose oh, yeah. of a game scaring you <clears throat> like that. Why it makes it so effective? Because if it didn't scare you, you just headshot, 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 headshot. But it's the tension that makes you go ah shit, and then you can't aim, and that's like the the way, what makes it so compelling. Um, and uh, I I would say that. Uh, a lot of uh, games that get it wrong are games that do it like 
you know, kind of factory Hollywood films, which is, okay, every five minutes we need a scare. How are we going to insert a scare into the scene? Uh, it's, all, it's always something not scary. It's like someone tapping someone on the shoulder or yeah. opening a door suddenly and, and the creepy guy's there, but he has nothing to do with the actual plot. And Don't don't forget the, the, the tried and true dog barking. Oh, that? And the, the cat scare, although I shouldn't rag on the cat scare too much because there's one in Alien that's actually really good. Well, yeah. See, why, do, why do we give a pass for Alien, but we don't give a pass for, like, uh, you know, the bye-bye man? <laughs> when they do the same thing. The, 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 because it's, it's, like I said, it's all context. Like, the jump, the, the cat scare in Alien, it has a better payoff than the, 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 the scare Is in, there a cat you know, scare the bye-bye man. man? Um, there were no scares in bye-bye man. Well said. Uh, that is a bad movie. Um, it's really bad. Uh, don't watch the Bye Bye Man. Um, <laughs> there's a website called There's a website site called Where's the Jump. Really? What's that? It it, it analyzes uh, horror films for jump scares. Mm. It's probably useful for people that can't handle jump scares to like know that they're coming. Yeah, at at the thirteen minute and fifty five second mark, a door slams. Oh yeah, that could be used. For, it could be used for medical reasons. Yeah, I always try to look at the brightest view of what something is. Like you know, no, it's it's great. It's great. It's, they're doing it for health. Oh purposes. wow, you can even you can even download SRT files um, to have subtitles that warn you about incoming jump scares. That's cool. Look at that. That's so cool. I love I love innovations in horror. Yeah, that is cool. Um, so anyway, I, I hear you're yawning, so I'm going to let you... No, I'm not yawning. After nap I'm and... not yawning. I, uh, <laughs> oh, okay. I, uh, I'm thinking about the, the effective modes of scares and stuff, because, uh, you know, I've said this a couple times, but um, uh, Kyle, the uh, who made Outsiders for our uh, package, is like, he has really, really good mastery of where to put scares. Um, and, like, have you played Outsiders yet? No, I have a build of it. I I think I need to. I need to keep. I need to keep downloading and playing them. Yeah, you should check out Outsiders because it's the one that I've showed to a couple people so far, and they've been really, really impressed with it. Um, and I agree. I think that he has a really good mastery of how to make scares. It's probably the most traditional scary game of any of the ones in the package, like in terms of what you'd expect from a horror game. Um, Nothing wrong with that. Right. That's the thing is that it doesn't actually like it's not traditional. Isn't bad as long as you do it well. It's when you you rely on uh, traditional tried and true scare tactics, and then you don't add anything. That's when people are like, "Okay, this doesn't bring anything new to the table," you know. But I think that's that, hmm. that's what I've been thinking about recently about this whole. Um, of course, I'm part of it, but I'm not. I'm kind of not part of it. So the the PS one aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So I I think that it, obviously it's sort of derived by this like ambiguity, like because the monsters and the ghosts and, and the characters and stuff aren't rendered at perfect photorealism that there's this like fear of the unknown because what, what pops out of the, you know, at you from the screen is kind of hard to comprehend. And that's, that's kind of my aesthetic theory on it. Besides like this new, the new retro age is not the eighties anymore. It's the nineties and which is a shame, but you know, time, time marches on, mm-hmm. but I'm wondering, like, I still want to see the, I still want to see, you know, the the flashlight simulators, you know, with like not like Unity assets, but like stuff that's made in Unreal with like, you know, really dark lighting and stuff like that. And like kind of your not your I don't there's no typical horror game, but the kind of the classic stuff that you used to see, you know, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
there was like the Iowaki game, which came out of a creepy pasta about Michael Jackson, and that's fine, I guess. Um, but I, I'm really eager to see. I'm really happy to see that there's more of your typical spooky indie horror game kind of stuff happening in this bundle too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that uh, what you're talking about with the the PS1 aesthetic is that um, the PSX aesthetic is that um, effective is that like it fuzzies up the corners, so you can't really see the incompatible pieces. Because the 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 issue with Unity, uh, not Unity, Unreal, is that uh, when you have all these assets and you add them together, there's always going to be a little bit of dissonance with like, okay, this doesn't quite look like this would actually go here. There's always a feeling that like there's something. If you have a nightstand texture that's just slightly more polished than the dresser texture, just because of you bought them from two different packs or whatever, or that that texture is just slightly less good than your wall texture, it takes you out of the experience a little bit. With the PSX, it's like everything is just kind of at the same level of polygons. (laughs) That's a good point. But I do love a really well-made retro aesthetic 3D game because it takes me back to my childhood and like that that feeling of nostalgia is important to me oh yeah i mean uh, i just don't want to see it totally take over the indie horror scene yeah i don't don't think it will i think that indie is always a scene that has a lot of space to do whatever it wants in um and i think that uh unreal like looking you know realistic horror games are just one aspect of that and the the old retro aesthetic is another. And I think that it's always going to be the case that people are going to chase the trends that are popular, but also cheap and easy to make. And I think that uh, that's why we see a lot of PSX games um, that aren't terribly good is uh, because, the, oh, look at uh, X, these popular indie devs are making money off of creating these PSX games. I could do that. And then they just throw together like a black hallway with like polygon demons and it just sucks. <laughs> polygon demons can be scary if you do them right. I mean, anything can be scary if you do it right. That's the point. The reason, um, One of the reasons why I chose a retro aesthetic and, and like super, super hardcore limitations on my work is that I is that I want to use more than just the visuals, I suppose, to scare people. Like I have a theory that that should, like you can if you if you took a bunch of Legos or um, you took a bunch of like two inch by two inch by two inch cube blocks and you had like a hundred of them and someone told you to design a level out of them and someone told you to design a horror level out of them. I believe that there are certain arrangements of those blocks that in patterns that would emerge that make that arrangement of space, a horror space. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that everything from where you lay your tiles to how you lay out your levels, to the sounds that you uh, make to where you get your sounds and where you record your sounds and like the colors and everything needs to work together. And so I, I didn't want to a, because I didn't know how, but I didn't, I also didn't want to rely on, really nice visual mm-hmm. there's games that have excellent graphics that scare the crap out of me like pt and until dawn was technically really cool like on a technical level was really impressive and it and i i think it's pretty scary but there's just something about the abstraction of the retro aesthetic that i really appreciate and respect i just don't want to see like you said it, it we're trying not to make it a trend mm-hmm you yeah, know what's no, funny know. is that a couple of years ago I was talking to Public Combo. I was I was DMing him on Twitter and we were talking about stuff. And I wanted to organize a panel of ho- indie horror game developers 
specifically ones that use the retro aesthetic for the next GDC. And I asked him, hey, do you want to be on the panel? And he was like, uh, I guess, but I don't really want to talk about what I'm I don't really want to talk about the retro PS1 aesthetic because it's I don't want there to be a bunch of copycats. And I don't want it to become a trend, you know? Huh. Wow. You know, I didn't understand. That was, it was sort of prophetic, wasn't it? And because mm-hmm. now it's everywhere. And, it's, and I'm not saying that as a bad thing. I don't want people to misunderstand me. But I will always appreciate the ones that try to be disruptors. Like we mm-hmm. still like we we need we still we're still looking for the next Five Nights at Freddy's. I'm not ta- I'm not talking about a Five Nights at Freddy's style game. I'm talking about FNAF in the sense that it was a major disruptor. It got us out of the Slenderman clones, and then of course it created the FNAF clones. <laughs> and we, need, <laughs> we need another disruptor to get us out of that. But I think it's I think that's died down, and so. I will always be looking out for a new disruptor. If, if faith is a disruptor and it inspires a bunch of, you know, faith clones and there are some that are out there already, which is really bizarre. Uh, I guess that's fine, but you know, I will, I will always be looking out for that variety. And that is, thankfully that is one thing that people who purchase this collection and play it will find. They will find a ton of variety and there's some, you know, horror audio visual surprises in it that I think will be really, you know, compelling for the player. Yeah. And I think that, um, what you're saying about the, the disruptors and us being due for a new disruptor is actually, you know, serendipitously just what I was talking about on, uh, in the keep when I recorded it at four in yeah. the morning, uh, was that I, I feel like the horror genre is due for another big shakeup because, um, I don't even remember if we talked about this on our episode or if it was a different episode, but, um, <clears throat> sorry, <clears throat> but, uh, you know, you look at the fa- the history of horror and, you know, the, the golden age of the silent hills and the resident evils. And then, you know, the big disruptor was resident evil four, which changed it to action games and all games were resident evil four for a while. And then amnesia kind of came along and they disrupted that again. And then five nights at Freddy's and slender actually did do another disruption of that where, you know, say what you will about, uh, slender the eight pages but it spawned an entire generation of new horror creators are you I, kidding it scared mm-hmm. the living hell out of me when i first played it when i went back in 2010 2011 yeah but it got but it got old because that's what everybody wanted to do after that the the gimmick of the slender man mechanics kind of wore off so we needed needed another disruptor and there was a lot of originality back then it's just we didn't have the content explosion that we had you know around 2012 2013 you know mm-hmm. that that really got everything you know got accelerated everything mm-hmm. do you, you yeah. know what i miss is the 2012 aesthetic like uh cry of fear did mm. it was like a it was like a source engine with like super homemade assets and homemade monsters and stuff i love no, that, that wasn't even, that wasn't a source game that was an original half-life mod oh, okay that's right it was an original half-life mod mod and then it turned into its own thing yeah it's a, it's like a half-life game and uh it's yeah all the homemade textures for it's it's a really really impressive game for a fan mod and i i hope that they want to make another one at some point they made some other games but cry fear i think is the is the biggest one yeah yeah but i think that um with this with, with what we're doing with the uh, the dreadx collection i'm i'm hoping to give 10 new bites of like here's how horror could be here's how horror could be here's how horror could be and uh i think that a couple of the games within our package are are really trying to you know be that kind of uh disruptor and i I really hope to you know some of them aren't gonna 
really, you know, the concept is probably just going to be, oh, that was an interesting idea and that's it. But all new great ideas usually come from something very small. I mean, like Slender, the eight pages when it revolutionized everything for that era, it was like basically just like a demo and like this, this little, you know, Unity thing you downloaded and it wasn't even functional, but it was a proof of concept that worked. Yeah, it was very, very simple, but it was very, very compelling. And I think also it was attached to the mythos of Slenderman, which had already, well, the game definitely helped the, the mythos that the creepypasta, you know, that was established. And, but then, you know, once people realized that they could put him in an interactive space, it, it just kind of took off. The, the, the study of Slenderman is very interesting from like a literature, like internet culture perspective. Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, it is, I, I think that Slenderman is, there's like kind of two generations of people that understand Slenderman. There's the people that were part of the older generation that kind of like saw it coming out. And then there were the people that saw Slenderman as the thing that the kids are playing on the YouTubes now. And they're they kind of, and then there's, you know, of course, the, the, the 2018 film that ate hard, hard shit. And, uh, oh, that's right. They made a movie. They did. And, um, yeah, so uh, I think that there's a, you know a few different uh, perspectives on <laughs> Slenderman that are you know kind of interesting. And uh, you, know what, you know what's really interesting is I saw I was at church and this kid in front of me had a Five Nights at Freddy's. He had a Freddy Fazbear plush doll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, do his parents know what Freddy Fazbear is? Kids love horror. It's true. Like uh, my my no no, no but I'm, I'm talking about the parents. And, and this was like an eight year old kid. Like, yeah, do no, the parents I, I, know that that that's a um, that's like a possessed animatronic that a that a deranged psychopath stuffed a, the body of a kid in. Oh, probably and that, not that, that, that much. But and the the soul of the child is inhabiting the body of the. Of course, the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's changes every five seconds, and I probably got that wrong. <laughs> yeah who knows what it's but about I, now. I think it's so funny um that there's like five nights at freddy's like plushes available in like you know crane games at at like the your local pizza place you know mm-hmm. but it's like do people understand what that thing represents <laughs> i just think it's so funny oh man plushes wait until you have your kid and then you'll realize that it's not about what the the thing represents it's about he won't stop screaming i will just get it for him <laughs> No kidding. Yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that there are probably that's probably where Slenderman uh slipped in. Um, where a Five Nights at Freddy's uh kind of succeeded is that there weren't Slenderman plush toys. Um, there probably are, but you know, they're not not widely marketed. No, Lack I mean, um, merchandising. But he became commodified in the internet culture. The idea of Slenderman just like, ex, you know, exploded with all it's like SCP, you know, people can add to the lore as as they want. It can be accepted or not accepted by the community mm-hmm. to well, the point I where think, it became an obsession. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I think that um, this is this is an interesting point about the, 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 the what is valuable merchandising. And it's like, you know, there's Internet culture, which is worth something. I mean, it probably sold a ton of games, but is did they make. Uh, on, did they make Star Wars money off of it is the question. And um, I was at E3. So this this kind of comes up with uh, H- Hello Neighbor recently came out with a cartoon. Yeah, um, yeah I, car- I, somehow I knew you were going to mention Hello Neighbor. <laughs> well, they, they recently had a cartoon uh, come out, a pilot for a cartoon. It got 10 million views. And when I posted about it, uh, some of the comments were like, 
is this even popular? And I was like, it doesn't really matter if the game's popular. What matters is that you can sell merchandise to kids. Um, because I was at E3, um, 2017, 2018. I can't remember. Um, one of those. And I was, uh, hanging out with the guy that made, uh, Bendy and the Ink Machine. And they were handing out Bendy and the Ink Machine merchandise. They had this big Bendy and the Ink Machine. Oh, yeah, Bendy. They were selling. <laughs> right. And I was talking to him about it and I was like, so is this like, is this popular enough to sell merchandise? He's like, honestly, the merchandise is the product. It's not about the game. Basically, they had a million downloads on their first game, which was free. And then they said dropped down to like, you know, 100,000 on their their second episode. And then it dropped down to like 50,000. So it's like the sales of the game. He's like, it doesn't matter because what we, we, we make 50 times of that in our merchandising. And that's what it's all about. It's about selling keychains, it's about selling toys. And uh, so uh, what he said, what he, he's like, look, if you ever want to know what uh, is really making the money for a company, look at what they're trying to give out like for free at conventions because they were just giving out, you know, keychains and stuff like that because that's what they're trying to get people to buy more of. Uh, they weren't demoing their game. They were demoing their merch. And that's because that was the draw. And, um, you know, Five Nights at Freddy's and stuff, well, you go to a convention and even if there is a new Five Nights at Freddy's game being shown off there, there will be way, way, way more representation of people selling Five Nights at Freddy's stuff because that's where the real market is. Really? Yeah, it's basically the game is just a a, a protracted ad for your your plush toys. Hmm. I never thought about Faith merchandise. You should definitely get Faith merchandise. I'm trying to think about what I'm you trying would to look into a 3D printer. I'm trying to look for, into a th- 3D printer to just sell like basically like voxel, you know, voxel sculptures of the the characters. <laughs> I'm just gonna sell sell individual pixels. <laughs> That'd be great. Build Collect your all. build your own demon. Collect all eight pixels. <laughs> uh, I, I just think that that yeah, you should definitely look into that though. New Blood should be uh, selling uh, more more merchandise. I'm trying to think about. What else you could do? Dusk. Oh my god, plushie of the dusk, the guys with the bags over their head, the chainsaws. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah, that would that would sell. People would buy those. People would fucking buy those. It's uh so if you make a jillion dollars off of that, then you have to help donate to the next uh Dread XP fund. Anyways, um I think that we've we've really gone over time here. Um uh which is great because I love going over time. It's my favorite thing just to get more Jesse more editing work. So Jesse, how are you doing? Cool. I'm doing I'm doing oh, good. Sorry, Jesse. Still here. <laughs> I uh, I turned off the mic because um, sometimes when our TV turns on, it makes uh, very loud popping hissing sounds and it sounds like a shotgun being uh, uh, emptying the chamber. Um, <laughs> it, fre- it freaks me out, uh, but I also don't want to spend the money and buy a TV where it's not, um, you know, an internal combustion engine. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, I, I, my, my dad upstairs on Zoom calls, and every time I turn on the microwave, his call drops, and I can't tell if it's because uh, his technology is weak or our technology of the te- of the microwave is incredibly strong. <laughs> Such a strong microwave. Uh, anywho, uh, guys, um, Airworth, Summer Night, it's coming to the the Dreadx collection soon. Everyone that likes Airdorf games should buy this new collection because it comes with ten totally other awesome things. All correct, right? Yeah, everything you said is correct. Uh, definitely put on some headphones and enjoy it. I hope you like it. And I'm still working on Faith. Don't <laughs> so worry, stop don't worry guys. He's still <laughs> working on Faith. This was only a week. It was only a week of work. It's fine. Um, 
Yeah, and everyone that tuned in, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we just wrapped a recording with uh, the person we interviewed yesterday, which I remember doing, and I remember who it was totally. And uh, Jesse, who did we interview yesterday? Jonathan. Oh, yes, Jonathan Shona from uh, Odd Breeze Games for uh, The Pay is Nice. Yes, that was that was yesterday. And then uh, we still got SnowRunner Productions, Will, Soda Drinker Pro. He's coming up. Uh, we got uh, James Rag, Lovely Hell Place. He's in England, so we're still trying to coordinate that. And then uh, we're going to do another uh, interview with uh, Justin Reynard, who, uh, you know, like I said, I have now learned worked on Fallout New Vegas, so I'll have more questions for him this time, because last time it was all Doom Trooper. So now we'll be able to talk about this new game and his other previous work. So, um, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, hopefully by the time this goes live, we'll have the link to the Steam page. We're just waiting on the trailer back from that. And, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, thank you so much for everyone that's been along and part of this process. And uh, I will see you all soon. Bye. September 21st, Nightmares are getting worse I have to finish what I started What I am about to do has not been approved by the Vatican